Welcome to the Politics of Everything. I'm Amber Danes, your host and podcast producer. This is a half hour of power, a podcast dropping every week where I unpack the politics of everything, from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment, quality, and much, much more. Our guests are seasoned in the field or topic of their choice, even if you've not heard of them yet. This is a non-partisan show. So while I love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate of ideas, this is not a purely blue, white, green program. Please subscribe, tune in and enjoy the politics of everything. Sally Torgerman is an Australian lawyer and commercial advisor specialising in renewable energy transactions and development projects. She's also a qualified electrical engineer and she was admitted to the New South Wales Supreme Court in 2015 after 10 years of practising as an engineer. Her engineering thesis was focused on modelling control systems within a wind speed turbine. Following that, she joined BHP Steel, which later became Blue Scope, supporting automation projects as one of the largest energy users in New South Wales. Sally has worked at leading law firms as well as in-house, including at Origin Energy, Energy Australia and Blue Scope Steel. She's been building her career around electrons and has worked on electrical networks while at Ausgrid and on generators while at Origin Energy. Today, Sally is Managing Director at PwC Australia Energy M&A Practice, which is Australia's leading energy advisor on solar, wind, pumped hydro, and more recently, hydrogen. Prior to joining PwC Australia, she was Global General Counsel of EW Limited, a renewable energy developer and operator, and she supported projects around the world in places such as Russia, as well as Australia and South America. At one point of her career, she joined Better Place, an electric vehicle startup, which at the time was the third highest ranked startup after Facebook and Twitter. And it was here that she learned a great deal about starting an ideology in a new business and that a powerful idea can transform nations. Her real passion is the energy sector and helping to solve problems And Australia has lots of complex ones to grapple with, including assisting industry to decarbonise, using renewable energy contracts or investing in clean energy. Her view is that corporate Australia has seen the light and regardless of what's happening on the news pages, the clean energy transition is here to stay. We actually met last year when I media trained her. No pressure today, Sally, really. And I heard her expertise and I was definitely convinced that she could help unpack some of the trickier answers to the world's energy problems. Plus, I have a soft spot for energy and all forms of utilities. So welcome to the politics of everything, Sally. Thank you very much for having me, Amber. I'm really pleased to be here. You definitely are the energy expert, but I suppose as a kid, this possibly wasn't your childhood dream. Did you have something you wanted to be when you grew up and did you actually achieve that? I actually had a beautiful childhood. I think like many of us um, who had the pleasure of living by the beach, who could look up the sky and look and see these beautiful stars and, you know, dream about, you know, going to space and daring to become astronauts. Yeah, like many, many young, 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 young children, we believe that you can go to space. And if you, you know, worked hard and did all the maths and got good at maths and one day you could get there. I later discovered that I was claustrophobic and I don't love being in, you know, small places. So I think Oh, we share that. We share that phobia. (laughs) (laughs) So um, obviously being an astronaut wasn't going to be a a natural career path for me, but nonetheless I, you know, I I really enjoy that part of science and and I really encourage my my three little boys to to really engage in in that because it, it is a beautiful experience. So what do we define these days as clean energy and is it different to renewable energy? And I guess what are some of the pros and cons when you're looking at this space? 
So I guess the thing is, is that it has been an industry where a lot of people have been doing a lot of talking for a long time and and relatively for the amount of um, discussion that we've seen, uh, probably not as much action. So I guess like anything, you know, there are many agencies and and legislations that define it. But, you know, when I I look at this space, I I think it's really important to maybe look and take a a global position and and look at the likes of the International Renewable Energy Agency who, you know, their definition of renewable is basically any think that is from a renewable source in a sustainable manner. So effectively, from that definition, you could really almost catch many forms of generation. So bio, geo, hydro, wave, wind, of course, solar. The point of it being clean or not clean, of course, is is a separate topic. And that is mostly around the emissions and, and the carbon intensity of, of the energy generation. So for example, gas using a, a carbon capture and storage would be clean, but of course, that's not renewable. We've seen, you know, this conversation around whether it's renewable or should be renewable, is it clean? I think what really people are trying to get to is is really how do we, you know, solve this really important question of reducing our carbon impact? And and given this, you know, I don't think there's anybody in the world who hasn't heard the old Mark Twain quote, which is if you don't like the weather in I think it was New England or somewhere like that, just just wait a few minutes. That, that is a really different concept today in around what's happening around climate change because it's not just a concept of just let's give it a few years and it will correct itself. What we know from the science is that this is a really big issue. We, we've seen numbers, you know, grow by, you know, you know, about a, a, a one degree Celsius from, you know, the 1950s to the 1980s. And we know that, you know, it's if things don't change, there is going to be an increase of, you know, 0.2 degrees, you know, every decade. And that obviously has, you know, massive implications on some of these, you know, what we call a climate change factors, which many of us, particularly Australians who saw the bushfires, you know, last year and, and, and are hearing about the glaciers and, and the severity of these, you know, extreme weather. It's, it's frightening and, and it's empowering to be able to see that so many Australians now really care about these issues around, you know, knowing what is clean um, and how can renewables play a really big role in that. Absolutely. I mean, of course, energy is part of our essential day-to-day life in our utilities and, you know, from everything from having a nice hot shower in the morning to, you know, driving our cars and so forth. I mean, we are living in a world where climate change is is a reality and it, it, it feels like time is ticking. What role does clean energy really play? And do we have a decade or two, or two to work us out or do we need to move quicker? Well, if you believe the scientists, which I think all of us really should do, is that we need to move very, very fast. And I think the global community has been really pushing for some for, for some strong targets for, for many, many years now. I, I want to maybe just, just tease out a little bit in your question this idea as to what role can electricity play in sort of supporting that. Now, now there are many of us who have always believed that, you know, if you look at electricity, like let's take a market like the US, right? Their overall gas emission or their overall greenhouse gas emissions, I should say, would look like something like, I don't know, I think it's roughly 30% comes from transport. You know, you've got the industries, probably another quarter, about 25%. And then you've got electricity, which is probably another 25%. The Australian market is really different. So if you look at, for example, our total emissions, we see that most of our emissions are you know, over 30, between 35 and and 33% comes uh, from electricity. 
you know, if you look at transport for us, that's, you know, less than 20%. And so from an Australian context, the ability for us, you know, it's very powerful to think, well, hey, 33 is a really big number, right? That sounds it. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. And so how can I get that really big number and sort of think, what can we do about it? And that's probably why some of the shift around sort of talking about climate change has really focused on, on, on renewables, because if I could take, you know, at the moment, something like between 60 and 70 percent of our electricity is generated from coal in Australia, if we can take that number and actually make that into clean energy, well, just imagine, you know, what you can do with that. So I think that the the energy sector is really a, a, a great way to contribute to this to this kind of global challenge. And um, and we're very fortunate in the sense that, you know, we have these aging uh, assets of coal that are very much nearing the, the end of life. So it's, it's a timely opportunity for us to think about how do we replace these generations and, you know, is there a huge opportunity for us to replace them with something that's cleaner, cheaper and better? And, you know, I guess it's, it's, it's really easy, I think, to be able to sort of think around some of the costs around because today when you sort of compare the costs of solar and, and wind and you put that with, you know, even with, with either being supported or firmed with gas or, or batteries or pumped hydro, you do get a very competitive profile to a new generation mix. And we're very obviously very excited to, to see that happen in the Australian market. Yeah, it's good that you've just touched on the fact about the ageing assets. And I, and I recall recently one of our big four banks in Australia actually decided not to back a project because they saw it as an asset that, you know, wasn't going to be worth the investment for the future, for the life of that particular coal mine, for example. So I think business has started to obviously look at the numbers and, and I think that's a really important part of the conversation. But I do want to change tack a little bit because late 2019, Australia launched its national hydrogen strategy and clean hydrogen is something I actually don't know a lot about but I know it's got the potential to be a sustainable alternative to conventional energy production and storage. It seems like Australia is ideally placed to become an international leader in this sort of space particularly as a clean energy export for example. How are we faring in, in that sort of trajectory of becoming leaders or being leaders and why is hydrogen something that we can perhaps bank on for the future? Yeah, it's a really great question. And I think it's something that's been, it's fascinated the, the, not just the Australian market, but also the global market. There is now, there is, I'd say, a fascination and um, a strong interest in hydrogen. But, but let me tell you why. If you think about it, hydrogen is actually a really simple product. It is a product that says that if you have cheap electricity, and you have water, and you put them together in a plant that uses, you know, pretty, you know, known technology that obviously has been uh, understood. And if you put that together in an environment where it is close or has availability for offtake, so there's a customer that they can take it, and you know, your cost of shipping is 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 reasonable, then you have a really strong competitor not just as a, as a fuel for transport or shipping or any of the many ways that we today use the likes of diesel and, and gas, but it is a competitive fuel to be used for many things like power generation and has many, many applications. And the most amazing thing of all that is when you burn it, you all you get back is water vapour. That's that sounds that sounds like very environmentally friendly to, to sort of you know be a bit cliche about it. Well, it is, and I guess it, it can be. I guess the question is is what do you generate it with? 
So what electricity do you use to generate it? And there's obviously different ways of, of you know, you can generate it. There's obviously different types of hydrogen. There's you know, blue hydrogen, grey hydrogen, and all these different types of it. But effectively, hydrogen, if, you know, generated through, you know, a renewable source, so for example, if you had a, a backend um, through a PPA or you had a, a project that is, you know, sourcing the, the hydrogen plant, you, you can get some amazing results. And I guess the, the powerful thing here is, is that if you're in a country that has a capability of providing really great irradiation or really great wind speeds or really um, great sort of economics on the on the electricity costs, and you can build that plant at a really effective capex or capital costs, uh, and you have the water availability and it's done in a sustainable way because obviously the use of water is really important, um, then you have a you know, a really compelling product. But to give you some ideas, so for example, to make one kilogram of uh, hydrogen, you need about nine litres of water and, and about 50 kilowatts, kilowatt hours of energy. So obviously there is so much to be done to be able to get better efficiencies um, out of some of those, you know, numbers. And if we can, you know, reduce the price of hydrogen to overall being, you know, costing around $2 a kilogram, we can really um, increase the ways in which a clean fuel uh, can replace all these things at the moment that, you know, generally we don't really have any other uh, options but using some very carbon intensive um, substances. Uh, so I think the, the key thing here is, is that we need to do it at scale because we're trying to sort of play with these economics. We need to think big. We need to dream big. And the, the amazing thing is, is that we're not the only country who's thinking like that. So there are many countries who, who enjoy good renewable resources, who have access to water and who are much closer to some of the world's global supply or global demand for using hydrogen. Uh, and so what we need to do is effectively beat them to that race because you know, there's plenty of support and it's been uh, really amazing to be able to, to watch um, how competitive some of those markets have been. But Australia has an amazing... Which, which particular countries come to mind? Like who else is in this hydrogen race, if you like? So, so for example, the many countries, for example, China, you've got Morocco, you've got the Middle East, You've got Germany. You've got many countries, uh, Europe within within Europe, who are who are competing to be able to have a piece of this pie. And so the question is, you know, can we can we, you know, can we deliver it at a, at a cheaper cost? Can we deliver it in a way that is certified and that people believe in the the origin and how it was made? So do we can we build trust in that? And and can we ship it in a way that's the most effective? Uh, so they're not easy questions, and no doubt they're going to take probably years to to get there. But but we are definitely confident that there is enough momentum and there's a lot, enough investment in this uh, to keep to keep to get some really great news out there. So over the past few years, Australia has earned a bit of a reputation for being slower than some other of our larger other nations overseas. I'm thinking of the US, for example, and in terms of you know setting a date for that zero carbon emission target. And I guess businesses are sort of, you know, they're already shouting for this. They're already moving on this. But it still seems very much that, you know, we kind of still rely a lot on coal, obviously, even though obviously our mining boom, for example, is, is well and truly behind us. Recently, President Biden, for example, seemed to step up his his commitment on the issue. And I suppose there is a risk that Australia could get left behind. And, uh, for example, I know Scott Morrison is not saying that targets aren't such a big deal. We're exceeding, you know, what we said we do and so forth. But given the economic realities and, and I guess the climate change realities, 
what's the risk that we will get left behind if we don't move quicker? It's a really powerful question there uh, because we have seen that many of the states who have had different motivations have really, you know, moved hard on this. So obviously in that recent announcement with the Victoria government announcing 45 to 50% by 2030, you know, New South Wales um, already had a target and, you know, federally that number is not quite up there, is it? So I think that there, there is a, a real risk that if we focus and wait for governments, the federal government to perhaps move on this, the challenge is, is that, of course, that the business community already gets this. And and if you believe that we're in a period where we're the age of corporations and that really it's really watching where these corporations lead and the examples they lead, and you'd see some fascinating examples from large corporates. Many don't just come from, from the US or come from Europe, but some of those are, are Australian examples as well. The idea is, is that some of the businesses that would be left behind would be those who could potentially see this area as, a, as an area of innovation. So I, I think that the, the industry overall has just realised that we've just got to get on with it. And that's exactly what we're doing. We've seen investments, we've seen opportunities, we've seen you know really a huge amount of um, effort being put in by the, the corporate and the business community to be able to move forward. And I'm confident that you know, sooner or later, the economics of this is so compelling that it's going to be very difficult for really anyone to kind of argue otherwise. Now, sure, nothing's perfect and and there's still going to be a lot of ideology around, you know, what do you do first and where do you invest in first? But the the economics are pretty clear that there is a huge opportunity for us to to use this sector as a way to create jobs, as a way to, at the same time, um, you know, work on on our targets. And this is something that, you know, most Australians want. And, you know, there's plenty uh, of investors who are willing to fund it. Uh, So provided that the Australian market is offering products and and projects that investors are keen on, then I think that's really really what's, what's driving the market at the moment. So beyond solar, wind, hydrogen and other sort of more common energy sources that we we have touched on today, are there any untapped ideas that could become big news in the future when it comes to energy? The amazing thing the scientists have and, and engineers are forever improving. I mean, if you just think of solar alone, there there are many, many projects that are being done at, you know, some of the greatest Australian universities that, that talk to improving efficiencies, that talk to increasing capacity factors, lots of work being done around quantum mechanics and, and how some of these technologies can be incorporated. There's still a lot to be done to to improve on, you know, geo and bio. And of course, the, the big one is storage. And, and it's not a single day that goes past where new ways of looking at storage from a perhaps a non-lithium lens or, or, or other types of, of elements are being explored. Naturally, there are uh, plenty of opportunities also for for ideas around you know how do you bring it all together so um so whilst there's going to always be you know investments and 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 uh, untapped ideas in sort of single components of this of the value chain or, or the or the cycle of of energy um there is a lot more that needs to be done around the customer side so if I think about, you know, the area of AI and how much AI and energy can be brought together, there's, you know, the engagement with the customer, how um, how you can really effectively provide, you know, an overall integrated solution is really powerful. And, and I still think that there is plenty of um, innovation and uh, investment in that space um, to get 
The best is yet to come, perhaps. Hopefully, the world the world needs it too. So, uh, finally, uh, on, on the topic of electric vehicles, I know that they're very popular. They're also quite expensive, but they are becoming more affordable with different sort of players in the market. Are they likely to replace fuel cars anytime soon? I mean, what's your view on that? Having obviously had an experience uh, working in that in a startup space many years ago. Yeah, so I guess it. I guess I have to say I'm definitely one of the many Australians who who think this is a great opportunity for for many reasons. Um, so I suppose it's been perhaps disappointing to have realised that most of the electric vehicles who, who have entered not just the Australian market but have entered the the global market have actually been at a at a higher price point than their equivalent combustion engine vehicle, and and sometimes two or three times. It's not a small amount. Yeah, for most that's people. exactly right. And I guess. It's it's there's a part of component you can say to that well there's still um, supply chain economics and and value that needs to be worked out through you know purchasing larger volumes and quantities, uh, but there's also a little bit of a uh, a marketing point is that it is there's a sense that electric vehicles are for you know the the, the innovators or, or a gimmick or or a perhaps a a part of the community that wants to have the latest and greatest. When in reality, if you think about it, is that electric vehicles, the concept of an electric vehicle, you know, from a from a, if you look at the components of it, naturally is a lot less of a complicated technology than an internal combustion engine, right? So the ideology, if you could make this uh, an affordable for for all of all of Australians, and to have the ability to really be an affordability point. I think is a, is a really an under underplayed opportunity here for us. Notwithstanding that, I think the fact that we can effectively convert our reliance on you know on fuel, which you know is you know has all those things that we talked about from a from a climate perspective, but to be able to convert that to um, relying on the grid and then being able to use renewable generation to basically supply vehicles, again is is a really powerful thing that I think would be important for our, for our economy. If you look at our growth at the moment in load, it's it's not really growing very much. And in, as we all know, for us to to make sure that the that the overall uh, long term interest in the industry is strong, is that we obviously need to, you know to increase our demand. And and electric vehicles are a really great way in for us to be able to um, use more uh, renewable energy. So we're looking forward to seeing that and really looking forward to, you know, some of the progressive positions that some of the states have taken in order to sort of accelerate the electric vehicle, not just investment, but also electric vehicle participation in the market. It's definitely a space to watch. A bit of a personal question. Do you have a favourite book, song or film that you always kind of think of fondly and what would it be and why? Oh, wow. So I'm a huge reader. So I, I read a lot and I don't know if I have a, a choose the best, but I think the one book that I think I've recommended to almost everyone is obviously um, The 12 Rules of uh, Life. I found that book to be one of the ones that really summarizes really great pieces of wisdom that anyone at any point of their life can read. And it's a really, it's perhaps a very personal book because it does talk about some of the things that we are as humans and how we find our purpose and how we reflect that purpose in our relationships with others. So if I haven't recommended it to you yet, um, Amber, I'm, I'm, here it is. <laughs> I know. Now, now I need to, do you remember who it's by or do we have to just sort of look that up and it'll come up, I guess, imagine, on a Google search? Um, it is by, uh, he's a, I guess you could call him a, a, a psychologist. I mean, he's, he's very well known. His name is Jordan Peterson. 
Oh, okay. Yes, I have heard of him. And he's obviously written a lot of books around, you know, understanding behaviour and, and, you know, making sure that, you know, people are aware of, you know, some of certain attitudes and and the ways that reflect those attitudes. So um, a really great thinker. But, yeah, by far the 12 uh, rules of life is is one of my favourites. Final takeaway message for everyone on the politics of energy, what would it be? Uh, Get involved. This is a, a, a point and a debate and a, a, and a choice that's going to be not just affecting um, each of us, but also our children. And, and if you would like to be able to see, you know, a cleaner energy sector in Australia, um, say it and, and fight for it and vote for it. There is plenty of opportunities for us to get great jobs because we're building on this um, sector. And there's a huge opportunity for us to replace what is already old and aging with something that is, you know, cheaper and, and cleaner. And we have some of the best, and I really mean this, I believe that we have some of the best innovators and thinkers and engineers. We need to empower them to to come up and solve some of these solutions, to come up with solutions for some of these problems that are always being posed up as a as a, as a risk to the to the sector and risk to the energy. So let's trust them and, and let's believe that they can solve this like they've solved many things before that. Well, it's been a fantastic and, and really enriching conversation. If you do want to connect further with Sally Togerman, there will be some details of her LinkedIn profile on the show notes. You have been listening to The Politics of Everything. Until next time, please keep well. Thanks so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed The Politics of Everything, I thrive on your feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network through Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects. I'm always on the hunt for new and diverse guests. So if you or someone you know has a fresh idea you're busting to get out there, please email me at amber at amberdanes.com and my crew will get back to you very soon.